Welcome to Discovering You, a podcast that explores the intricacies of personality and how it impacts the way we navigate through life. What will you discover today? Welcome back. In the spirit of keeping the disc in the Discovering You podcast, I'm going to start each episode with a fresh take or a different vantage point, if you will, when talking about disc. Since this is the March episode and the Academy Awards are around the corner, I thought I would look at DISC through the lens, pun intended, of the movies. Pre-pandemic, we would always have an Oscar party at our house, which included dressing up, rolling up the red carpet, and a replica Oscar trophy for the person who most closely predicted the winners. I haven't seen all of this year's movies yet, so I'm reluctant to assign DISC factors to characters, although... I will say that Will Smith in King Richard is a great example of high D behavior. For those who aren't familiar, it's the story of Venus and Serena Williams' dad and the vision that he had for his daughters to become tennis champions. The drive and ambition that he displays is very high D. Today's analogy is disc, according to Oscar category. High D would be the director, the one who calls the shots, makes the tough decisions, looks at the big picture. High I would be the actors. The role calls for them to be emotive, vulnerable, and able to influence how people will regard their character. High S would be sound editing. This requires patience and the ability to listen more than talk. High C would be cinematography, which needs an eye for detail and precision in the work. This comparison worked almost perfectly in an alliterative sense, except for I. So if you think about it, D matches up with D for director, S for sound, C for cinematography. I will admit that this bothers me more than it should, and I'm probably revealing my Enneagram type as I say this. So on that note, back to our discussion of DISC through Enneagram type. On the last episode, I made connections between Enneagram types 1 through 5 and their DISC counterparts. If you missed it, you may want to give it a listen first. Today, we are going to pick it up with Enneagram Type 6. Okay, Type 6. Type 6 is called the loyalist or the skeptic. Here's another one of those words that sound almost contradictory in a way, like that Type 1 sounded. But I think hopefully you'll see, and and when I draw it into the disc comparison, hopefully it'll clarify too. Type 6s are responsible, supportive. They enjoy the sense of belonging to a group. They're looking for safety and security. And because of this, they're always on the alert for potential threats to it. This is why they're called the skeptic. They're vigilant and suspicious of any potential risks to their sense of well-being. They're usually well-organized and well-liked people. Trust is their most important value. But being naturally skeptical, it may take time to build it with them. David Sedaris, Queen Elizabeth, and Sanjay Gupta are examples of type 6. For the disconnection... It is a high S combined with low I. People who are high in steadiness are very loyal. They're team players, and you can often find them in supporting roles, such as teachers and healthcare professionals. They find value in helping others and being connected to a group. They don't take things at face value, though. They tend to take the time to reflect and process before jumping in. The low I reveals itself through the skepticism and looking for solid proof, like facts and details versus being swayed by emotion or just taking someone's word for it. I happen to know a lot of sixes, 
but it says 10%, which is interesting. Again, I was thinking when I looked at it, it might be higher because I feel like I know a lot of sixes. What about you, Heather? Do you feel like you know a lot of sixes? I feel like I know one. (laughs) At least one. I'll put it that way. Okay. It's interesting also with the loyalist and the skeptics. People are often, oh, that sounds really different. But that's really the nuance that we have when we're looking at high S behavior. Very loyal, but it's one of those things where it's not going to be just given out immediately. You're going to need to take some time with high S's and with type sixes to be really like, okay, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to process. I'm going to reflect. But once you've broken through, once you know, you're know you on their team or they have your back, they are super loyal for life. Now we're going to look at type seven, the enthusiast. Type sevens are spontaneous. They're fun-loving, And of course, is they're aptly titled enthusiastic. They want to live life to its fullest while avoiding pain and boredom. They like to be busy, enjoy a variety of different activities, and they're always seeking the next new or exciting adventure. Because they like to bounce around from one thing to the next, they can appear scattered to others sometimes. They are generally popular and appreciated for their glass half-full outlook. They are often creative and imaginative. People, when they're looking at type sevens, will view them as fearless, but enthusiasts are looking for this thrill of adventure and the pleasurable buzz of something fun to escape the worries and harsher realities of life. So it's not that they don't see them or recognize them. They know they're there, but they're choosing to take this fun approach to immerse themselves that way and not be bogged down by the harsher realities. Some famous type sevens are Elton John, Katy Perry, Sasha Baron Cohen. The disc combination for Enneagram 7 is a combo of a high I and a low S. The high I is revealed through the optimism and charisma of this style. They are charming, affable, and great storytellers. The low steadiness part of this combo is in the quick pace, the restless energy, and the ability to multitask with ease. Low S's prefer to have a bunch of things on the go. They are fine starting six different things and don't feel the need to finish one thing before beginning another. (laughs) I think Heather's laughing because she recognizes that part. Interestingly, only 9% of the population is this. And I don't know about you, Heather, that makes me a little tiny bit sad. I know we're splitting hairs with a 1% difference here from a 9 to 10, but this is the least represented group. And it sounds like they're the most fun group. I'm lucky that I have a very close friend who is absolutely a type 7. How about you, Heather? I'm not surprised that it's a lower percentage. I don't have a huge network of people, but I can't pinpoint anybody who's an exact type seven. Yeah. But I have to agree with you. The world would be a more fun place with more Elton Johns and Katy Perry's. (laughs) Yes, I agree. Well, the next one is going to be interesting then, because this next type that we get to is actually going to be the most represented and the percentage does kind of jump up a bit. So we'll get into that. Type eight is the challenger. They come across as confident, decisive and in control. Depending on the situation and whose lens is pointed at them, they can be viewed as aggressive and intimidating. Often if this behavior is framed within the context, though, their motivations are really much kinder than they're coming across. For instance, they feel the need to defend and to stand up for those who may be too afraid to do so for themselves. Type 8 see themselves as protectors. They're very independent, they're passionate, they're energetic, they're strong-willed. And they crave respect more than being liked. Famous type eights are Serena Williams, Winston Churchill, Kamala Harris. The disc match for the challenger style is a combination of high D and low C. 
Heidi is apparent through their direct approach and the fact that they thrive in conflict. Notice that I said the word in versus on. So it doesn't mean that this type is always instigating the conflict. I mean, sometimes they are. (laughs) But (laughs) what I mean by that is they do very well in conflict. They rise to the occasion and they are people who are energized by it, whereas other styles are immobilized by it. So that's a really interesting differentiator. And that's something that we often see with Heidi's. Low C comes through because this personality style is not afraid to take risks for a reward. Now, be that defending someone in a risky situation or taking a stance on something that isn't the popular choice. Low Cs don't feel the need to conform and comply automatically. They are always interested in testing the limits and pushing the boundaries a bit. As I mentioned, this one is the highest in terms of the population, 15%. That's the biggest. I know that's the biggest jump. And out of the 15%, this is another one where we're going to split on gender lines, more men than women. 18% men, 12% women. Thoughts on that, Heather? (laughs) I do feel like I can recognize that in a few people that I know. Yep. For sure. I was surprised that it was the most too. I mean, I definitely see it. And I think in general, in I guess the way current events in our society is. I feel like things are pretty divisive for these past couple of years. Maybe that's where we're seeing that. But uh, yeah. (laughs) I do think exactly that, right? There's more opportunity for them to show Mm. right now. Exactly. I think I'm married to a type 8. Interestingly, I also think I'm married to a type (laughs) 8. And he has a very low C (laughs) and a high D. So there you go. Works out for him. All right, here we are. We're at the final one, type nine. And type nine is called the peacemaker. So pretty opposite to what we were just talking about with the challenger. Type nines are very pleasant, calm, and easy to be around. They strive for peace, harmony, and will attempt to diffuse conflict as much as possible. They're generally receptive and reassuring to others. They're patient, loyal, and they tend to have a wide group of acquaintances. They are good mediators within their group of friends and colleagues. They'll often speak in a mellow, soothing tone, and they could be the poster child for the phrase, keep calm and carry on. As complacent as they come across, they do have a threshold and do not like to be controlled. They will usually react in a passive-aggressive way in such scenarios. Some famous type 9 examples are Barack Obama, Audrey Hepburn, Ron Howard. The DISC matchup for 9 is high S and low D. For the high steadiness part, the patient supportive behaviors are there. But peacemakers and high asses are quietly stubborn. This often catches people by surprise because of their amiable nature. High asses and peacemakers may nod and smile at your suggestion, all the while privately thinking, yeah, not going to (laughs) happen. The low D ties into this too. Low Ds will take a very accommodating approach when asking for something. So while it comes across as friendlier and more collaborative, it doesn't mean that they will give up easily. They are very tenacious. And this one is the second highest population-wise, 13%. So I feel like that's good, right? It kind of balances out those challengers a little bit. What do you think, Heather? Yes, I have to agree. I have a question. Yes. They seem opposite sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, like the peacemaker balances out the challenger. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess I haven't looked that closely at where they're positioned in the Enneagram. So this is why I said, stay tuned. I'll put a pin in this one too. At some point, we're going to take a deep dive into the Enneagram because 
there are so many layers. So yes, there's things like the Enneagram wings. There's things like the direction that your arrows are pointing in. There's things Mm. about the head, the body. It's very, very deep dive. So I just wanted to use this as a fun comparable to really explore the low factors of DISC. Because as I said, we often just get those high levels, but we don't really get the nuances of what our lower factors mean. And hopefully this was enlightening so that people can see, oh, yeah, you know what? Having such and such low. So for instance, having a low S like you had, they're like, yeah, that allows you to multitask. It allows you to get a whole bunch of stuff done. Low did not mean bad in that case at all. There's always something positive associated with our low factors as well. I have a very low eye. I'll just be open about my profile. (laughs) Very low eye. And it's something I fought for a long time where I would try to be more, not necessarily an influencer, but, you know, more social. Yeah. And now I just embrace it. It is who I am and I'm proud of it. And I carry on. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean that you can't be someone who's friendly or social. The real differentiator for having a low eye is in terms of how you're making decisions. So high eyes really are go with your gut kind of people, right? They're spontaneous and they are driven by emotions. A flip side of spontaneous though is impulsive, right? And low eyes are never going to be impulsive. So you can be friendly and enjoy people, but if you're someone who would never have a knee-jerk reaction or make an emotional decision, then that's the low eye showing up. It's just the more logical, analytical part. Well, and I can see sometimes when I make decisions, I can think an impulsive, but then I back it up with logic. Yes. I don't know if this is a good example, but I'm like, I'm going to buy that. And I'm going to buy it because this, 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 and it's going to be valuable for this, this, and that. It's not just a, I'm going to buy it. And that's oh, the end I love of it. it. That's a great example. So I think the more that we dig into this stuff, it's all starting, it's peeling back an onion here. (laughs) I love it. Wow. We're like on like layer four for you now, Heather. (laughs) I like that though, because yeah, that is the process you're going through. Yes, ultimately you'll still buy it, but that wasn't a whimsical decision. You went through, oh, I'll use it for this. It'll have this value. It'll do whatever. So you're going through your checklist of it. So I think that's, that's a really good way to bring that to life. I'm curious, as we were talking about these different types, if anyone popped into your mind. So listeners, if you are avid podcast listeners, I'm going to guess that at least some of you listen to Armchair Expert. Heather and I both listen to it. We're both armchairies. Uh, for those of you who don't, it's hosted by Dax Shepard and co-hosted by Monica Padman. And they are very open, vulnerable. They share a lot. I think most people who listen to them would agree that they have a pretty good sense of their personalities and things like that. I thought it would be fun for us to take a guess. So listeners who know it, but also Heather, I'm curious to know what you think. I have a guess or two for for Dax and Monica. Do you have anything to say or do you want me to go first? You can go first. I'm going to start with Dax. I think Dax is a combination. And again, as I said at the beginning of this episode, there's more than one, just like DISC. Most people have more than one. I think that Dax is a combination of a type eight and a type four. So I'll remind you, type eight is the challenger. (laughs) And Dax really does kind of like to, I think one of the most entertaining things is when, you know, he gets into stuff with Monica and pushes back and he's always, you know, kind of looking at pushing the boundary. So I do think he would have a fair amount of eight in him. I also see four in him. 
because of those same things. You know, with four, I was talking about the individualist and talking about things that maybe make them different and not hiding it, but really being open about it. And and that's certainly a, a representation of Dax. What do you think, Heather? I 100% agree with that. Oh. <laughs> well, the challenger part for sure, it makes perfect sense when you explained it. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Can I give you a guess for Monica? Yes, please. I want to say that she's a five. Okay. Tell me why you think that. Well, the investigator part, and maybe that's mm-hmm. just the fact checks and all <laughs> yeah. of that, right? Part of the podcast. Yeah. And the need to have the answers and she follows up and she's she's just so all-inclusive with that. Right. But then when I try and relate it to the disc, there has to be some high D in Monica to right. build that podcast with Dax. True. And with the drive that they talk about that she has. Yeah, exactly. It is interesting. So I think she's got some solid one in her and I also think some three. So three is the achiever which I think speaks to what you were talking about. And then one, you know how she can be pretty perfectionistic about things. Like I feel like she doesn't want to hand off certain projects to other people that can help. She wants to be able to do it herself. That's really perfectly. And her background of being that competitive cheerleader and all that kind of stuff that she was doing at school. So anyway, I think that we probably have, we hit on some of their key ones. Like I said, there's usually several, but any of you who are listening, if you want to send in your thoughts or comments on what you think they are, it would be a fun conversation we can follow up on in the future. I think they've actually done their Enneagrams too, right? They've talked about them. You know what? I think they did talk about them in a fact check. And you're right. We could check that out. We could fact check. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember them doing the test. Yeah, I do remember them talking about it. And I think it's funny because I think they're both squeamish about these types of things, uh, especially Dax. And again, that would totally fit for someone who's a challenger who's wanting to sort of say, oh, I don't want to be put in a box or labeled. And obviously, this is never about that. It's just about trying to figure out what kind of insights we can pull. But yeah, I think we should have a look at that. So fun. So if you were really interested in what we talked about today and interested in doing your Enneagram, there are several sites that offer it. Truity is one, and it's a great source of detailed information. I got a lot of the information that I looked at from here today, and you have the opportunity to take a deeper dive into it. Now it's time for our listener question. This question was submitted by Frank. Just a reminder to everybody that if you head to discoverwhatworks.org backslash podcast, you can also send in a question. Just hit the record button. I'm looking forward to hearing more about DISC and Enneagram. Wondering if both are relevant in the workplace, and if so, which would you recommend for team building? Thanks. Hi, Frank. I think both of them are great, and it depends on the type of team building you're thinking of. The short answer would be DISC, because DISC was created specifically for the workplace, and the nice thing is it has many actionable applications. Not only is it a great mechanism for team building, since you will walk away with a deeper understanding of your colleagues enhanced interpersonal connections, but also it's extremely helpful if you're recruiting and hiring, as well as new employee onboarding and orientation. So imagine as a new hire starting a role, if your boss is really focused on the best ways to connect with you, encourage you, and inspire you, wouldn't that be amazing? And as a manager, it's a great tool to guide you in a customized approach to managing and motivating different personality styles because we are not all motivated the same way. 
This really allows you to set the working relationship up for success. So thanks for your question, Frank. And remember, listeners, you can record your questions or comments at discoverwhatworks.org, and I will answer them on a future episode. If you're interested in booking Victoria for a speaking engagement or team facilitation, contact her at discoverwhatworks.org.